From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Liam Niemeyer. And I'm Grace Warner. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Today for the show, we'll skate into the unique roller derby community in nearby Nelsonville, Ohio. We'll also ask community members and local students in the streets about voting in the primary elections happening today across Ohio. We'll continue with reporter Abby Grise's two-part series on campus safety, where she'll step into the shoes of local law enforcement and how they patrol Athens streets at night. But first, Tibetan Buddhist monks travel to Ohio University to perform one of their time-honored traditions, the creation of a sand mandala, a piece of religious artwork, but not without some difficulties. Those stories and more are coming up on The Outlet. Stay with us. This past week, Ohio University played host to a very unique group of people, taking time out of a national tour. A group of Tibetan Buddhist monks stopped by Athens, Ohio, to teach lessons about harmony and peace. Ben Postalwaite reports. On the fifth floor of Baker University Center, a group of monks sit on the ground, backs arched leaning deeply over a hard wooden pallet on which they create their art. Over four days, these Tashi Kayo monks worked, meticulously arranging tiny, tiny, tiny grains of colored sand around a circular pattern. They seemed focused, unable to be distracted by the din around them, never stressed out or worn out, just cheerful. And on the last night of their visit, they destroyed it, the whole thing, wiped away and scattered into the Hogging River. Each mandala has uh, their own Buddha or enlightened being or deities. Uh, for example, uh, like there are compassion Buddha mandala, which uh, portray the message of compassion, or medicine Buddha mandala. It represents the kind of healing power. And this is not like you know a deities or Buddha or enlightened mandala that sent, but it is the mandala that portrays the high message of compassion and loving kindness and. Wo- the ritual creation and destruction of a sand mandala is Buddhist tradition, one this group has been carrying out all over the country for more than a decade. That's Tenpa Fansu, one of the few monks here that speaks English. Many Buddhists left Tibet after Chinese incorporated their homeland in 1950 and established monasteries and schools for Buddhist education in nearby India. The Labrang Tashi Kayo Monastery serves as a focal point for both Tibetan refugees and tourists a place where both people can learn about Tibet and the culture of the people that call it home. Tibet is a corner of the world that not a lot of people know anything about at all, whether it's about religion or culture or history. So uh, this is an opportunity for students and faculty and just the general community um, in and around Athens to learn about a corner of the world that really is kind of inaccessible otherwise. That's Grace Eberly, the president of the Comparative Religions Club here at OU, the group that invited the monks to campus to teach about Buddhist traditions. The monks travel to different universities around the U.S. It's a program held in partnership with the Tibetan Mongolian Buddhist Center in Bloomington, Indiana. At each university, they hold educational events and traditional ceremonies meant to educate the campus communities about their history and Buddhist beliefs, which revolve around compassion, forgiveness, and universal peace. And how the monks practice their beliefs became really clear Tuesday morning. The way I heard about it was they called me up in the morning at about 9 o'clock when I was on the way uh, out, and they said, uh, come here, we have a surprise for you. And they were laughing about it. And I got there, and uh, I saw that it was, I thought it was a joke. I thought they had done played some trick on me, replaced it with another 
sand mundal, and then it was 90% gone. Professor David Collins, the head of the Comparative Religions Group, was shocked when he heard the peace mandala, which the monks had started constructing earlier that day, had been mostly destroyed, likely an accident by a university custodian. But Collins said the monks were very Buddhist about the situation. They were not attached to it, and they actually they said, if it was an accident, I hope that the person, uh, uh, I hope that the person doesn't feel bad, and if they did it on purpose, I hope that they got some joy out of uh, the act. Tempa Fansuk laughs as he recalls the discovering that morning. The monks knew they could still finish the mandala, and they were almost unfazed by the whole accident. But Fansuk has his own interpretation of what happened. At the center of the mandala is an image of four animals, an elephant, a monkey, a hare, and a bird. Four harmonious animals share the fruits from a tree that they gathered near. Fonsk says that maybe these animals were just playing a trick. Maybe these little uh, colorful friends, they themselves, they, maybe they have decided to go out in you know, a boundary of the mandala <laughs> and uh, you know, go out and take a closer look at the beautiful campus and wonderful people here. That's, that's a good way of thinking about it. <laughs> On Friday, students and community members came out in droves to see the destruction of the mandala. As the monks chanted, they used brushes to wipe away at the intricately detailed mandala before putting the sand into a small urn. Then, a procession down to the Hogging River. So it's rainy and a little cold, and we are walking with a bunch of Buddhist monks to the Richland Avenue Bridge, where we'll toss the sand from the mandala into the Hawking River. The destruction of the mandala is meant to show impermanence, and how when one cycle ends, another begins. Now the monks will move on to another stop on their tour, where they construct a new mandala, and the cycle will begin again. For WOUB News, I'm Ben Polstowait. With it being the primary elections for both the Democratic and Republican parties today across Ohio, we decided to send reporter Aaron Duncan out on the street to see how involved people are with today's elections. Ohio University students and Athens community members walk alongside Court Street on a windy evening, gearing up to vote in the Ohio primary. Are you planning on voting in the primary? If so, or if not, why? Hi, my name is Megan Myers and I'm a student here at OU and I am not voting in the primary because I see that none of the candidates are fit to be president and because I don't know enough information about it to feel like a confident voter. My name is Bob Kerwin and I'm a student at Ohio University. I am not voting in the primary tomorrow because I did not fill out the paperwork needed for an absentee ballot in time. While some people are not voting for different reasons, others have decided that it is important to participate in politics. Hi, my name is Josh Glassner, and um, I'm a student here at OU, and uh, I'm voting in the primaries because, well, I know that it's important to vote, and as a citizen of the United States, I feel that 
um, it's my obligation to vote. I uh, have the right to do it, and um, I know that it's going to affect me in the long run. So who I choose now um, is definitely going to uh, affect my lifestyle. I'm Lindsay. I'm a community member of Athens. Yes, I am voting in the primaries because it's important to cast your vote. Even if they are not getting involved today, members of the community still plan on casting their vote in the final election. My name is Nick. I am born and raised a local here in Athens, but I just moved back. And I'm not voting in the primary because I just changed residency, but uh, I will be voting in general. My name is Aaron Owens. I'm an OU student. I'm a freshman. And I'm not voting in the primaries because it's like you already know who it's going to be. You already know it's going to be Trump. You already know it's going to be Hillary. So, I mean, I'm a vote. I'm going to vote for when they come down to the nitty-gritty, November 6th or whatever, when it really decides everything. For The Outlet, I'm Aaron Duncan. The sport of roller derby is where rollerblades and football-like hits come together. But it's also a place where women of all backgrounds can take part. Our own Alex Molnar visited a local roller derby team in Nelsonville, Ohio, to learn more about the unique community surrounding the sport. As we open the front doors of Dow's Roller Arena, we are greeted by the sounds of shouting and the smacking of skates on a hard floor. Inside, a group of women wearing protective gear are skating in a circle around the rink, practicing together and honing their skills. My name is Jasmine Facoon, and my derby name is Sweet and Lowdown. It kind of came to me, and um, I, I skate pretty low, so it just made sense. Jasmine is a hardworking mother and an experienced roller derby skater. I started roller derby actually in 2005 in um, Tucson, Arizona, and I've been with Athens team now for just a few months. I started in January. When we had lived in Tucson, I had just had um, my first child, and I came out finally um, when my son was old enough to leave him at home. Um, been doing it off and on ever since. Jasmine skates for the local Athens, Ohio Roller Derby League as a member of the Appalachian Hellbetties, which is currently the only team in the league. The team consists of 32 women of different ages and backgrounds. My name is Liz Hammer and my derby name is Bruiser Von Hammerstein. I think the thing that I like the most about roller derby is that it's, it's a group of diverse people, um, but even though it is very diverse, it's very much about empowerment and learning things about yourself that you didn't know. So, you know, I come into this and I... I had never, I was never athletic, I never played sports, and I was like, I, I can't do this, this is so hard. Yeah. And you learn these things about your body that you didn't know you could do, and it's amazing, and it's empowering. Roller derby is a contact sport that involves two teams of five skaters skating around a track. Well, the rules, um, the basic rules is you have a jammer who is your point scorer, and then you have a pack of blockers from each team. And the jammer is trying to get through the pack of blockers um, and trying to score points. So for every blocker she passes, she scores a point. And they're trying to stop the jammer from scoring those points by hitting her, knocking her out of bounds, not being a point to be scored. And that's that's the basics. It gets a little bit more complicated than that. The Hellbetties are currently holding open recruitment. They're looking for dedicated women 18 years and older to skate for them. Men are also encouraged to join the team as referees. Here's Lindsay Schaefer, one of the newest members of the Hellbetties. My nickname is Whips and Lashes. 
They did a fresh meat um, practice where new recruits could come in and you can use their gear and rent skates and just try out different things. And so that was in September and a friend of mine was going to it and I was like, oh my God, I've always wanted to do that. I didn't know it was around here, so I tried. The Hellbettys won their match in Marietta over the weekend and are busy training and preparing for their next one coming up in April. Here's Jasmine with more information. We do have a game coming up. Um, we call them Bouts, and the, the next one is going to be in Charleston, West Virginia, on April 16th. Cool, cool. So hope to see everybody there. It's really fun, and um, we could use some support because we don't have a local... We have a local rink to practice in, but right now we don't have anywhere to bout. Um, so all of our games are out of town. So if anybody from Athens wants to come cheer us on, that would be great because, you know, it's always nice to have a fan base at your games with you. For The Outlet, I'm Alex Molnar. The Athens, Ohio Roller Derby League is also holding a fan art competition open to the public throughout the month of March. Contestants are encouraged to submit fan art centered around the themes of empowerment, teamwork, and rock and roll. The winning design will be unveiled at a screen printing party at Little Fish Brewery on April 9th. Last week, you heard Abby's story about Stone's perspective on walking home alone late at night. Now here's the second part of her two-part series on campus safety, this time with the perspective of OU's police department. I'm riding along with Ohio University Police Department officer Natasha Lorenz during her patrol duty. The Athens Police Department has been investigating a possible serial rapist since mid-January, and there's been a different tone on campus ever since. That's why I'm here, to find out the law enforcement's perspective on this recent event and to get more information on how students can stay safe. 3519, 3500. Go ahead, 3519. It's a Saturday night in mid-February. It was one of those unseasonably warm days where everyone just couldn't wait to get outside. The weather continued and turned into a mild night. Officer Lorenz assures me we'll be busy. The night could be almost like an early fest, which are the block parties that take place in Athens each spring. But it turns out we, surprisingly, aren't slammed with a ton of calls. A few of the typical alcohol and marijuana-related ones occur, but other than that, we have plenty of time to talk. Lorenz tells me she graduated from Ohio University in May of 2014 with her degree in sociology with a specialization in criminology. She was hired by OUPD that August, started her training that September, and has officially been a part of the force for about a year. She says she loves the chaos of weekend nights in a college town. That's why I wanted to do this job because, you know, it's every night is exciting, every night's different. You never know what you're going to get next. After talking more about her time spent at OUPD and what dealing with rowdy college kids is like, our conversation turns toward the inevitable and the reason I'm here, this possible serial rapist on campus. APD is leading the investigation, but OUPD is helping out in any way they can. OUPD implemented a special midnight detail when the news broke about the alleged rapist, increasing the number of officers on duty every night to five from what used to be three officers. Officer Lorenz says they have a response rate of two minutes. 
and this work done by law enforcement is not going unnoticed by students, including freshman Miranda Mays. Yes, I'd feel very comfortable going to OUPD, and since it's happened, I've noticed more presence of them around campus, too. Although it seems like safety on campus has increased, there's still some fear among students. Lorenz says attendance at the Rape Action Defense training workshops that OUPD puts on has increased. Usually many people sign up for the class, but only 10 or so actually show up. Recently, though, about 40 women have come to each session. More and more people are realizing that it's just about being prepared. We don't live in a perfect world, and um, I think that taking this class is it's just a, it's a preventative measure. It's something that women can do to be more prepared and um, just have more tools on their tool belt. We talk more about how students can stay safe, always being aware of their surroundings, letting friends know where they are, and carrying something like mace if that makes them feel safer. But I still wonder, do students such as myself need to take those measures when walking to a meeting or the library on a weeknight, as opposed to a Friday or Saturday? Nine o'clock nowadays, is it's dark out. So um, an, a predator could think that's, a, that's an opportune time to attack someone because it's dark, there aren't a lot of lights, you know, you're, they're not walking in well-lit areas, there aren't a lot of people out. But then again, now that the weather's getting nicer, people might be out later, and nine o'clock isn't late for someone to be out walking on the street. So I think that if you were gonna walk to Schoonover at 9 p.m. alone, and there were people out, and you were on Court Street, which is very well-lit, well-traveled street, um, I think that might be okay. But my inclination is to say, better safe than sorry, and still take all those precautions you normally would. And that's really the impression I've gotten from this ride-along. There are many different safety precautions all students can take, and OUPD is always there to help. Because, in the words of Officer Lorenz, it's better to be safe than sorry. For The Outlet, I'm Abby Grise. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced and hosted this week by me, Liam Niemeyer, and my co-host, Grace Warner. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Susan Taben, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on iTunes, or you can find us online at woub.org. Or follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WOUB. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.